For the eighth time, Norway are the Women's EHF Euro champions. And here on the final special episode of the Uninformed Handball Hour, we'll be going over the final, the bronze medal game, and our own special awards to commemorate what has been a truly unique handball championship at least for Europe, and hopefully we'll never have it again. But I think we've made the most of it over the last three weeks. And for the final time, it's myself, Chris O'Reilly, Brian Campion beside me. Hello there. And now reporting from Ireland, Alex Kulish. How are you? <laughs> What's the crack? I've already adopted, uh, I've adjusted to the Irish way. <laughs> Does that mean now your love for Denmark has faded as quickly? I, I, feel, I feel bad for them. And I think they completely underestimated Croatia and um, didn't score a goal in the last 20 minutes or scored one goal in the last 20 minutes. So uh, a pretty disappointing end for this bright uh, Danish team. But, you know, there's always there's always next year. I think it's a good game to start with. I mean, we'll go into the final in a little bit, but... As we have for the most of this championship, starting each podcast with the Croatian team, it's good to go out in that way as well. And it really is the greatest story of this championship. And we haven't had a story like this at a major championship in a long, long time. I mean, having a team that was ranked pretty much bottom from the last two championships coming all the way, not just making it to the main round of the semifinals, but actually get a medal in their hands. And it was amazing to see... Not just the scenes at the end of the game, but also at the medal ceremony. Like even three, four hours after the game, the joy had not dissipated one bit. I, for one, at least can rest easy tonight knowing that I never doubted them all the way to the end. So <laughs> I can <laughs> take solace in that, that I always backed them. I was always behind them the whole way to even this match here. No, but seriously, I think we can't almost uh, judge Denmark for underestimating them because I think everyone did every time and they just kept proving us wrong and we got this email from Andelko Novokomet this person uh, said they really enjoyed listening to the podcasts and so on and so on and really enjoyed how we kept underestimating Croatia they felt that one of the things that we underestimated most was Croatia's defence and I think that's probably uh, maybe a fair point that they really can could uh, disrupt almost every team they come up against apart from Norway and I think that of obviously a very uh, nervous performance against France but all, all those games apart from those two games I think they really disrupted everything they played against and a big shout out has to go to their master tactician Nenad Sosteric for setting up the team with the way he did and getting the most out of all those players because before this tournament I think I maybe knew one name on the list on their team sheet and now they're all well not all of them superstars but there's definitely a few players in there now that have become superstars over the tournament. But let's focus on the last 20 minutes. And I wanted to get your perspective on it, Alex, because as you said, just one goal for Denmark in that final 20 minutes. And that goal was a bit of a consolation one because the game was gone by then. But the score was 18-18 at the 40-minute mark. And then it just completely turned. It, it, it felt like it's an issue that Denmark have faced in this competition because their plan eight didn't stop working. So it, it worked very well in the first half. 
they were breaking through, they were playing fast, their defense was working. But when that stopped working, they just continued to do the same thing. They continued to take those nine meter shots that just weren't going in and just didn't really switch up their method of attacking. And I thought that has been their downfall in the whole competition. We've seen that in every big game they've played where they do really well, then something stops and they just, they don't have a plan B to revert to. So I think that was the main issue. One of their A games for the whole tournament was Sandra Toft, obviously performing really well and saving them a lot of occasions and she didn't have a very good game. So I think psychologically, your captain not playing that well just doesn't maybe feel the same as it, as it did before. So that could have been also a big factor. But even then, Alfie Reinhardt came in for the second half and had a 50% save rate. So it's like, oh, yeah. it just all happened in attack. And the crazy thing was, like, there were so many wasted shots. They did create opportunities, particularly in that middle part of the second half. But there were some good saves by Pijevic, some shots that just went completely wide or over the crossbar. And then they just kept going down the middle. Like right into the belly of the Croatian beast in defense and uh, just kept trying to to figure out a way through their strongest part of the defense and it just didn't work at all. And Yeah, it, it felt a bit like the old Denmark in that last game uh, where they were maybe these players that were used to uh, a different time in the Danish national team kind of just going back to uh, those struggling final 20 minutes desperately trying to do things on their own as well and uh, all of the the good work that had been done for the majority of this championship uh, was not seen in the last 20 minutes but I think instead of focusing really on Denmark's downfall there I think it's more apt to give Croatia all the credit they deserve for this one because they it wasn't I think a case of Denmark just collapsing I think Croatia really forced the game into that that way and they uh, they earned the victory themselves and a great conclusion for the tournament for them as I said before just watching them come onto the court for that medal ceremony with their crowns on their heads as well I just like non-stop dancing even Nenad Sosturich with a crown on his head <laughs> and I don't know how much convincing he needed to uh, to do that but it was a brilliant scene and it really does just add that little bit of magic to that this tournament to see that fairy tale story does get a medal in the end. Of course, fourth place would have been nice for them, but it's like, okay, they, they kind of faltered at the end. But to see them get a medal is wonderful. Let's talk about the final. And it was as close as we expected it to be in the end, but not really close for the majority of the game. I think it's fair to say. I, I figured it would be close, like two or three goal swings nonstop. But really, it, it took a few unusual twists and turns. What was your impression of the game, Alex? Well, I think Norway found that energy again. Um, at the very end, when, when they won the game, they found this extra level of energy that they were able to find in the semi-final against Denmark, where they really upped their game and everything became precise. But... I was really impressed by France in that second half. And I think if it wasn't for quite a few missed chances, they could have actually been ahead and pushed ahead. France did exactly what you said, Chris, that they should do, but they only did in the second half. And that is 
put out Enzaminko as that number one defender up front. And she's just amazing there. It, it was incredible watching her just, you know, changing direction. We, we've seen her change direction in attack a lot. And it's always really dynamic. But you could see it in defense where she was just chasing these Norwegian players and pushing turnovers and making them really anxious and Norway yeah they were rattled they were completely rattled um and of course Darlo came in uh, and had just an inspired performance even though uh, Leonard had a very good performance in the first half herself Darlo came in and was completely inspired I think she saved seven of her first nine shots which is uh, pretty incredible but Norway just played their own game and we said that before or we've talked about that before where uh, Brian, you mentioned that Toria Heraigensen's um, halftime talk is always just be Norway. And that's what they did. They kept being Norway, even though France pushed out of them, made them very uncomfortable. It couldn't last because France couldn't keep that level of energy and that precision in defence for a whole 30 minutes. It's, it's impossible to do that. And Norway were still playing exactly as they did at the start of half. Towards the end of the game, they were doing the same thing. It was that quick passing. It was changes of direction. And the, what it was, was in at the start of the half, France were perfect. And even though Norway were almost perfect, they just, you know, they were missing that last pass to break through. But Norway believed in themselves. They didn't change up how to play. They didn't change everything completely they kept doing the same things and as France tired a little bit they started to miss those you know fine interceptions or movements Norway started getting the breaks and attack and Norway's passes kept being perfect and they they won a deserved title you know we, we said it from the start that Norway are the best team in this competition but I love that they were made work for it. You know, we everyone predicted Norway to win, but they were really made work for it across multiple games. And uh, it was an incredible game. I wouldn't maybe say that Norway were rattled. I wouldn't quite go that far because I think Darlow got them out of jail a lot of times. And a lot of those were absolute sitters of goals. Got France out of jail. Got France out of jail, yeah. So I think she really saved the day. I made it a close game. I think without her, it wouldn't have, wouldn't have been a close game at all. I think she really... Got them out of jail. And I think what you said there about the the 5-1 was mentioned in the press conference after the game that you, you can't play that kind of style of defence for for 60 minutes. They knew they were going to have to play that at some stage and they don't have many players like Enzimenko who can do that for them. And they also mentioned that in the press conference that she's one of a kind that she, Krumholz said that in the, he thinks that she's better at doing it than Jackson Richardson was at doing it. So that, that in playing that one position. Mm. So that's, a massive compliment to her. But yeah, how long can you play that for? You can't play for too long, so you have to disrupt it at the right moment. So I'd say he knew it was going to be in the second half when they when they were going to try that and pull that out of the bag. And there was some stage it almost looked like a 4-2 what they were playing. They almost had two players going out high at certain points. The first 40 minutes, it didn't look, feel like feel like a final really. It only became, it only felt like a final late in the, in the second half. I, I was still would have put it out earlier. I think uh, disrupting a team, if he could have, if they could have disrupted the team like that in the first half, it could have ta- made it a very different game. Of course, in that scenario, you have a lot more time to to figure out a response to it. 
And Thoray Hergeisen in the post-match press conference said, well, actually, we didn't have any time to practice. We, he kind of They knew the 5-1 was coming in the same way that in our last podcast, I, I said that that's probably what they should do because it seemed like a, a clear tactic to try. So even though they, they, they talked about it, but they didn't have time to practice it since the semi-final. So maybe that was also in Krumholz's mind that like if they throw it out too early, that Norway would have time to, to see how it works or doesn't work and then to take a timeout or go into the halftime break and, and give it a go. So maybe you're right that doing it at halftime was the, the perfect approach to it. I think in that first half, Norway did everything that makes Norway great. And there's a few players that spring to mind for me. There's Veronica Christiansen, first of all, who just like set the tempo uh, for both halves. Scoring the first, she scored four goals, the first two goals in both halves, which uh, was quite interesting. And her role in attack uh, was quite limited then afterwards uh, where she filled in a little bit of right back in the first half but then it was more about Reistad coming in for Norway. Silja Solberg I think needs a huge deal of respect particularly in the first half in goal for Norway because some of the saves she made was really top class. We were expecting Katrina Lunda to to be the one to, to take over this game in goal for Norway but Solberg really showing why she is one of the top two keepers in Norway making some saves that really she shouldn't have been able to to save. Uh, France would be really disappointed with that, I think, as well. But uh, she was brilliant. And then Oftedal in pretty much the whole game, I would say. As long as she had a bit of space at nine meters, particularly in that first half, absolutely tore that French team apart. I mean, the the footwork we've seen over and over again, but it seemed like she stepped it up just another notch in that final where ankles were being broken all over the place. She was just like dashing in and out so beautifully and even though you can see it coming from the the tv screen i'm sure the french player could see it coming they still couldn't react to it and both she and nora merck earned a lot of easy goals through penalties or just uh space going in through spaces which didn't uh, exist beforehand so yeah a lot of standout players for norway in that first half and then the surprise standout player for me in the second half for norway was stina skogrand who had a fantastic game in defense in that going into that second number two position on the the right hand side, which was very important against France's backcourt shooters, and also putting away the goals or the opportunities she got on the wing and taking a penalty in that second half, which I was surprised to see her take, but uh, she was given the opportunity to do that and she stepped up big time. So a lot of uh, I think standout players for me in that throughout the whole game for Norway there uh really interesting that 5-1 defense and Herr Geisen mentioned it as well in the press conference that you know they didn't react too badly to it they were still finding the right passes but the right pass wasn't done correctly in the end there were so many times that that cross-court pass out to the wing just missed the intended target it was a bit too high or a bit wide of the mark so they had the right idea on how to deal with it but they weren't executing and i think a lot of credit has to go to the the french wingers in defense there and also enziminko for uh the way she played that number one role in defense also cleopatra dolo who had the game of her life i think and it was a real pity for her that she threw that pass away in the final minute when France were trying to get the uh, deficit back down to one. Besides that, I just have to say, I did say Heidi Loco would have a role to play in this game. <laughs> and when things got desperate, Tori her guys said, let's try something new. Heidi in the middle. <laughs> she was played at centre-back for a couple of attacks uh, just to 
basically get the ball moving and then to move in as a second line player. But uh, yeah, I, I found that five the the five one defense and the the battle between Norway's attack and that defense was a standout thing for me in this game. It was so interesting to see. And yeah, Norway were. I, I you say Norway weren't rattled. I'd say they were rattled by that a little bit. I I think so. And during that five one spell, especially at the start, um, Norway were playing fantastically. They're moving those passes really quickly, and there was always a French defender right there. So when the pass was played, it, there was a split second for a Norwegian player to receive the ball and play it to an open player. And for the first fifteen minutes of the half. It was France that got there that, you know, split second before Norway, putting off that pass. And then in the second half, it it just turned around and it was a Norwegian player getting there a split second before a French defender and opening up defence. But I I want to just say how incredible the partnership of Stine Oftedal and Norrmark has been in this whole tournament. Between them, they have 145 goals and assists. Of course, a lot of those assists are to each other. <laughs> but, so I'm double counting a little bit. But they are the top two players in terms of goals and assists com- combined in this tournament. And everything just revolved around that partnership. And the, their movement is just incredible. You say the footwork, but I think it's even more about the movement without the ball. because they know they make the movement early and beat the defender there. And then the footwork is just a little bit extra to get by. They've already beaten the defender with their initial movement. And that was continually seen throughout the tournament and absolutely incredible from the two of them. And, you know, Normark, I think we, we had some minor questions, you know, will she step up at crunch time? She absolutely did in both the semi final. And the final, um, and it's incredible to see. We talked about Croatia being the best story of the Euro, but I think probably the second best story of the Euro is Nora Mork, because only a matter of months ago, people were saying, oh, maybe she should retire from handball after all these knee surgeries. Should she continue? And it must be extremely satisfying, satisfying her, not only to get back to the top level, but to look almost as good, or if not as good, as she always has. Mm. And I don't know how... I mean, it just shows you the the mental strength that she has to come back and just perform it and just to shut down the doubters yeah, every time. I just can't wait until she writes a book. I am going to read that book straight away. For a player to have 10 surgeries and cumulatively be injured for six years of their career and to do what she's done, it's, it's just absolutely incredible, inspiring and I just, I want to know the secret, like how <laughs> she was able to get through all of that and do what she did. This is like the the redemption part of her story, you know, after all these surgeries and particularly the, like the secret surgery she had earlier in the year, like mm. midway through her recovery from the last knee surgery, the fact that she had to have another surgery, like as a minor correction for that, which she decided not to tell people about. Uh, because she didn't want to add fuel to the fire. And, you know, she looked like she was completely unfazed and unbothered. Like she was, she took her hits. She played a huge amount in the attack. And to be the top scorer with 74% shooting is in a, in a tournament where backcourt shooting has been, I think, comparatively poor for a major championship. She has put out incredible stats. 
and in the second half that jump shot she scored from the backcourt and then one in the first half where she broke through and kind of took the hip check and like had that body contortion and just threw it in I think there were two classic Nora Merck goals and uh, really uh, deserved to be seen in that final one last thing a key point which we haven't talked about and really was unnecessary was Graf Zaddy's three two-minute suspensions which I think had a big part to play because first of all two of them came really early in the first half and took her out of defense and then finally when she was in her flow in the second half she couldn't play in the decisive minutes when it looked like France really needed her because of a faulty substitution getting her third two-minute suspension missing those last couple of minutes you want you want the best players to be out there for the entire 60 minutes and i think we were deprived of that a little bit by that mistake yeah zaddy gave them the lead actually as well mm. um and then that Nora mork jump shot goal you talked about for me was one of the most important goals of the game Nora mork scored that in the in the 54th minute and then in the 55th minute you get you see zaddy getting the red card so just in those three four minutes there that was a huge turning point in the game and it's uh yeah that's sick sickening for zaddy as well because that's such a i mean you talk about making oh, beginner man. mistakes in big moments and that's really one of them but it's great seeing norway back on top isn't it <laughs> yeah it, it, like something about it feels right something about <laughs> it just fe- you do realize that they haven't won a tournament for a relatively long time um relatively long for norway for, relatively long for norway but it just felt good it felt like they you know, banish some demons in this tournament. They that they were the top dogs that they believe they are, and they are, and it, it's just amazing seeing them at the top again. I mean, there's been 14 European Championships, and they've won eight of them, so they're pretty good. At it. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, I the you know a few years ago, before this relative barren spell began, people were kind of sick of Norway winning. Mm. You know, I'm just wondering how long it'll take for them uh, to no longer be uh, like adored by everyone. Again, you know, it's like if they win the Olympics this coming summer, if they win the World Championships next year, whether uh, people were like, all right, Norway, you get lost yeah, now. Yeah. But at least for now, they're the darlings again of uh, women's handball. Yeah, they can have the title for a little while until Croatia dominates women's handball for the coming decade. So Norway can enjoy their, their time right now. <laughs> we definitely shouldn't be laughing at that. No. <laughs> we'll, be, we'll be making another sound bed in, in, in a year or two with that quote. So in January, we had our alternative awards for the championship, and we're bringing them back to celebrate the players of the championship who made us smile or cringe in ways that are not recognized by the classic all-star team awards. And we have a similar list to how we had in, what we had in January with a few additions. Where should we start with? Which, which one? I think we can, we can start with the Swiss Army Knife. Mm. Um, I mean that's basically Classic. that's basically for me our MVP yeah in a way you know um, and I think explain the Swiss Army Knife for us well the Swiss Army Knife is a player who can kind of do do everything and do everything well has a lot of different tricks up their sleeve and I think last January we gave it to Christian O'Sullivan Christian O'Sullivan yeah mm-hmm. so Christian O'Sullivan is kind of the the best example of what a Swiss Army Knife should look like I think for me this time, it's very difficult to look past Camilla Mitsievich for this. She has second most blocks. She has number, she's number one from goals from open play. She's third goals overall. 
number one for turnovers and second most court time with 315 minutes. I mean, in reality, she's the MVP of the tournament, but she didn't get it because I don't know why. But <laughs> for me, she's the Swiss Army knife okay. of our own awards. I don't know what do you guys think. Uh, I, I've I've waxed lyrical about uh, my Swiss Army knife of this tournament, and it has to be Daria Dimitrieva. Um, this is a player, she averaged 50 minutes a game. She was the center block in defense. She was the playmaker in attack and she led every fast break. She literally did everything and she had to do everything because she lost her comrades in that backcourt. She lost Vakirova and Anna Sen, Khalichenko. She had, you know, looking at the start of this tournament, we thought, you know, who's going to help her? This Russia team will only get as far as Daria Dmitrieva will bring them. And they got pretty damn far. And I think they were, they could have easily, you know, they're a draw against France away from a semi-final spot. <laughs> didn't get a medal in the end. They, they didn't get a medal, but it's, it's about a player who did just so much for the team. And she literally did everything. And they got so close, and I think um, I don't. We didn't mention this, but uh, Ambrose Martin getting sacked is probably pretty harsh on um, this team because you have to look at it in a way of where we thought Russia were going to be at the start of this tournament, and many people had them outside the top eight, and they finished a strong fifth. So she's my Swiss Army knife. It's a good call. I had Dmitrieva as my centre-back in the All-Star team. And Mitrievich I had in mind for another award, which is why I wanted to offer up a different nominee for this. And it's Christina Jorgensen from Denmark. I'll give you my reasoning behind this. And what I had in mind was the, you know, in the NBA, you have like the sixth man as like the, the basically the best substitute. And I kind of see the Swiss Army knife a bit like that as well here, because Christina Jorgensen was 100% the eighth woman in this team, not only because she played the eighth most minutes for Denmark in the championship, uh, without being a starting player, I think that shows her impact in the team. She played right back in attack, center back in attack, left back in attack, and left wing in attack. She was their like, nominated player to come in for seven-on-six situations. Uh, for Denmark in the backcourt because she was uh, assured either you take a good jump shot from the backcourt or we'll find the winger. Huge defensive player for them as well, playing at left or number two and in the center. And I think overall just kind of the, basically the woman to to come in and fill a position when it was needed. So that's why I went for Christina Jorgensen here. Don't think it's going to win it here, but just throwing out another nominee. So we don't know the answer then. So we have to come to... We have to, to, we have to vote, yeah. 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 I think we can forget about uh, Christina Jorgensen. Uh, very, very well put together. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> I think it comes down to either Daria Dmitrieva or Camilla Dmitrievich. Like I said before, I have Dmitrievich down for another award. If it's the best personality, you can get out of here. Because <laughs> you can't just insult her, like just give her best best smile of the tournament. It has to be a little bit more than that. Look at the stats I read out to you about she's almost in every top three of defense and attack. I think for for me, the Swiss Army knife needs to have a certain assuredness about them. And Mitrievich doesn't have that in attack. Yes, yeah, she bangs in goals, uh, but she doesn't do it. Yeah, but let's think, well. think of a Swiss Army knife. You're not going to be cutting up steak with a Swiss Army knife. You're going to kind of cut up steak with a Swiss Army knife. You know, you're going to get yeah, the yeah. job done, but it's not going to be the best job. But exactly. So 
I think Dmitry has more tools on that Swiss Army knife. In attack, Michievich has one really strong steak knife and then a few toothpicks. While Dmitrieva can shoot from the back, she can break through, she can go one-on-one, she can get the assist, she can do absolutely everything. So her steak knife might not be as sharp on that Swiss Army knife, but overall, it's a better package. But I, I, I think I think you just explained yourself out of winning that one, Brian. <laughs> no, but, but you make the, the, the argument then that for, in the, for defense, she has a lot more tools to offer. No. No? Mitchievich has a block. And, Mitreva, and turnovers. Yeah, uh, not a s- She's second on turnovers. What, what Go on, Chris. Do I'm gonna leave, uh, what else do you do in defense? Uh, <laughs> blocking the turnovers. Second turnovers. Uh, oh, no, she's, no, she's one for turnovers. She's number one for turnovers. Number one for turnovers. Second for blocks. I think uh, I have Mitchievich down for another award. Do you as well, Is, is Alex? it best personality? <laughs> no. It's the life of the party. Yeah, <laughs> Which she is. You can't give. You can't. Everyone's only getting one award here. And look, we're coming around to this again. We're underestimating Croatia once again. After all the talk, and here we are again, and we're giving the award to best army, Swiss Army knife. Someone who didn't even get a medal. I think talking about a woman think, who came up and no one even knew her name before the tournament. I think what we did in January was whoever nominated the other person, whether they give in or not. So Alex, do you give in to Brian's argument? Absolutely not. I, I appreciate Mitievich. I, I think she has been incredible. But in the Swiss Army Knife, we Christian O'Sullivan got the Swiss Army Knife uh, last year. It wasn't Sagasin. It was Christian O'Sullivan. Yeah. And that is the, the spirit of this award. So the Swiss Army Knife, it basically has to be a playmaker. I didn't know that. No. What? No, they just... Or two playmakers got No, it. well, my, my nominee played in four positions. Well, could... could, could <laughs> but yeah, but your, your nominee was way off the mark. Like, you know? <laughs> okay, how about, how about we, we put it up to a vote? Listeners can, can decide. Mitrievich versus Dmitrieva. Okay, okay, we can't be doing this air for every award now, but... All right, yeah. Okay, we'll put that one up to a vote. Okay. Well, let's move on then to... <laughs> The butter knife. Explain to us, Alice, what the butter knife is. So the butter knife is pretty much the opposite of the Swiss Army knife, where the player is very good at doing one thing, but is pretty mediocre at most other things. So they're very good for the purpose they serve, but may not be the best player overall. Who did you have, Alex? I had two, and I I am stretching the... um, the Butter Knife Award here. And the two players I had were, first, Camilla Harum. And again, I'm saying it's a stretch because Camilla Harum is a fantastic player, but she thrives off the fast break. She is a good left winger in terms of shooting from the left wing. Her percentage from shooting from the wing was um, 56%, which is below average for a wing shot but from the fast break she got 21 goals from 25 shots she is absolutely unstoppable on the fast break and that's what makes her the player that she is so for her purpose she's you know she's a very good butter knife but um still a butter knife the second player i had was uh orlan canor and i think that's primarily because of the limited time she's had in this uh, tournament, the limited playing time. But what she was in that French team to do was, when they're struggling for a goal, 
let's bring Kanor on and let her shoot from nine meters. Just give her the ball, let her shoot. Wait until she misses, take her off. And actually, she had an incredible tournament. She scored 11 from 15, and most of those shots were pretty, you know, they're pretty tough shots. Uh, I feel like she could have probably got more time in the tournament. But in a butter knife way, she just comes in when they need a goal. She gets that goal. When she misses, they take her off. I think it's pretty fair. I think I had Meta Tramborg down and, and I deleted it again because I thought Alex, you might lay an egg if I brought her up as a butter knife award because <laughs> I know how much you love the Danish team. But uh, I think the Canor one is probably a bit good. I think it's a, uh, I think Camilla Harum is too good of a butter knife. Do you know what she adds defensively as well? I think is, is key for uh, the Norwegian team. So I think maybe I'd, I'd go for Canor here. I think that's a probably a pretty good fit for yeah. the award. Harum is, as you said, too diverse a player. Uh, for that so Orlan Kanor congratulations you are the butter knife of the women's EHF Euro 2020 let's be clear butter knife is not an insult no you're very good at one thing yeah. you know everyone needs butter knife the bruiser award which after the outstanding achievement in January of the men's Euro from Adrian Sipos who was a clear bruiser uh, it's now I guess co-named after him as the uh Adrian Sipos Award for Excellence in Shithousery. So, gentlemen, do you have any <laughs> do you have any nominees for that? Wasn't as clear cut as <laughs> for the last Euro mm. with uh, Sipos, but I put down uh, Dora Krinsnik in defence. I think she was often someone in the Croatian defence making the massive hits, sometimes connecting with people's faces, jerseys pulling, dragging out of people, falling all over the place. So she really put her body on the line. So I think she's probably a pretty good nomination for that award. Alex? I, I would agree with that. And I kind of just had the whole Croatian defense. <laughs> they were the queens of shithousery. They made life so difficult for every attack. Across, you know, sometimes it, it actually got a little bit too far. They, you know, they held on a bit too long. And ultimately, that may have been their downfall. But they made life extremely difficult yeah i had actually had three nominees for this one okay. two of them based on individual moments of brilliant uh shithousery and larissa kalausa had for her overall championship because she was the top ill-disciplined player of the championship mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to discipline points she had 21 uh, for eight two minute suspensions and a few yellow cards on top of that so i think that encapsulates the the creation defense very well and surprisingly, though, there were so few red cards at this championship while looking at that. And then the two moments of shithousery, which I think fit this category very well. First of all, uh, Lara Gonzalez, who in general is a very disciplined defender for Spain, but she got that red card against Sweden when she had disrupted the play. But we'll never know whether that was on purpose or not. If you're Swedish, you believe that was done on purpose so Spain could get the ball back, which I think is an absurd idea. But uh, maybe she was taking advantage of the rules a little bit there. And then Vladlena Bobrovnikova for the one-minute spell where she smashed Sandra Toff in the face with a shot, getting no penalty for that. And then down the other end of the court, less than a minute later, got a two-minute suspension for hitting another player in the face. <laughs> so I think that was, uh, that, was, uh, that was quite fitting, I think. But it seems like this may have to be a whole a joint team award to the Croatian defense. I think so, yeah. I, yeah. And although... That was an amazing moment of Shithousery by Bobronikova. She did apologize to Sandra Toft, uh, went up to her and did apologize. So it, it wasn't quite the spirit of the Shithousery award in that. <laughs> True. Okay, so congratulations to 
The Croatian defense. The Croatian defense. <laughs> <laughs> the Iron Face Award. This is something that Alex Gulash has suggested. That is an award for the best save with your face in the competition. Um, and you mentioned my nominee for the Iron Face, and that was that absolute bomb to the face that uh, Sandra Toft took uh, from Bobrovnikova. And she went out with a black eye and a swollen face and a bloody nose, then came back in the second half and absolutely dominated. So it's hard to look past that. It is, but I feel like she was hit in the face more. I'd say it's more of she got hit in the face rather than a save with her face. I think Tess Vester's at the end against Germany, that really felt like she was using her face to save the ball. So that's an also another good, <laughs> an honorable mention. That we could absolutely, there. Yeah. yeah. I had Tess Fester down as well as one of them uh, for that save against Germany in the last second. If it had kept the Netherlands in the running for the semi-finals, mm. then it might have won it. But I think we have to go for Sandra Toft then, and also because Sandra Toft, she's taken so many hits over the years and like had concussion problems, had to wear a helmet at some point for a while, but still seems completely unfazed by it all and quite literally has an iron face at this stage. Yeah. So yeah. Congratulations, Sandra Toft. <laughs> so next, well, we have more knives. Now for the Blunt Knife Award. The Blunt Knife Award is for one of the worst shooting percentages from a high shooting player. Mm. When I thought about this, there were three names that came into my head. Anna Gross, Lois Abing, and Christina Niagu. I think Lois Abing redeemed herself a lot later in the tournament, so I think we take her out of the equation. Anna Gross was injured for most of the tournament, so I think that's we'll take her out. But so I think it kind of comes down to Niago actually. Her game against Norway would probably be the perfect example when she scored four from sixteen. Was it? That's the game maybe that gives her the award. So it's, it was a tough, it's a very tough tournament for Niago. She really wasn't playing well, so. For me, unfortunately, she has to get the, the Blunt Knife Award. Yeah. And as we heard in the podcast uh, before the championship, she has also been struggling with knee issues and also with, with COVID. But I think the, the contributing factor to this was not so much her, but the rest of the uh, Romanian team kind of forcing the issue and really throwing everything on her shoulders. 27 goals from 67 shots. A 40% success rate in the whole tournament. And there were a couple of games, like you said, that Norway won. And the first game against Germany, where it was particularly low shooting percentage. Yeah, I think it has to go to Christina Niagu. It has to. And you say 40% for the tournament, but from the court, her shooting percentage was 34. One in every three shots went in and she took a lot of shots. So unfortunately, the blunt life of this tournament is Christina Niagu. She joined some illustrious company because Andy Schmidt got it in January mm. so it usually is like the, the top class of players usually getting this one you know they can't all be Nora Mark at every tournament okay next up the Silver Spoon Award let's go for that one now this one uh, is inspired by Brian Campion's spoon story in the red zone and you'll have to listen if you haven't heard that one back you have to listen to every single episode because I'm not going to tell you which episode it was because I can't remember but uh, a brilliant story with Brian a Romanian player and a spoon and uh, this one goes to basically I guess the most embarrassing or cringeworthy moment at the championship mm. Mm. I mean you can interpret this in a few different ways I have two different options here I have the Malestine penalty against Germany when she went for a spin shot 
but ends up just spinning it, spinning it in the air to the goalkeeper, almost like a pass. <laughs> it was very much like League of Ireland uh, quality of handball. And I think it was one of the most bizarre penalties I think I've ever seen. So that would be one nomination. But I actually will put in there firing Ambrose Martin also as in one of the most embarrassing moments of the tournament. I think that was, a, for me, a little bit of a crazy... I mean, look, we don't know all the reasons, but it seems a little bit crazy, especially to do it before their last game. It seems a bit heavy-handed and a little bit, in my eyes, a little bit embarrassing mm. as well. Alex? Um, so I also had Malestine for the spin penalty, but I think the reason why Malestine has to win this award was not only for the spin penalty. It was also because she took the shot that was caught with one hand by Te Pijevic. So two quite um, yeah heartbreaking moments for Malstein, who had a fantastic competition. She was a great player. But in those two moments, um, I couldn't look at the screen. <laughs> I think yeah. Tia Pijevic has kind of, I mean, we've seen keepers catch the ball before. But the amount she did it, it was almost like it felt like in the NBA when you really dunk on someone. Yeah, she was, yeah. yeah Malastain was posterized by that yeah. moment. Um, the one-handed catch and then, but most, I think most importantly, yeah, that penalty uh, against Germany. And as I mentioned before, she stepped up minutes later to score a penalty in that same game, which uh, is very impressive, but... Yeah, I can't look past that. And I think the fact that we all had that down as one of the nominees makes Angela Manestein the Silver Spoon winner. Congratulations. Okay, now the Life of the Party slash People's Hero Award for me, Camilla Michievich. <laughs> as we talked about earlier, <laughs> not underestimating her. Or, or she was the Life of the Party. Someone she can was, be a shit, a yeah, shit great handball player. Someone, someone can be the Swiss Army Knife and the life of the party you know it's a fun Swiss it's a colourful Swiss army knife <laughs> <laughs> also a party popper at times or yeah. like a, a glow torch <laughs> no but she definitely was the life of the party yeah there's no argument here I think yeah she had some amazing moments from the interviews from jumping into other players interviews I'm pretty sure it was her idea to bring the crowns out for the medal ceremony and do the queen wave as she accepted her medal, um, she brought a lot of life to this um, tournament. And I think the Croatian team as a whole would probably support that um, Life of the Party uh, award. Easy. Camilla Michievich, the Life of the Party award. Uh, does that disqualify her now from the Swiss Army knife? <laughs> <laughs> indirect, indirect, in, I suppose indirectly, yes. <laughs> <laughs> And finally, the Lifetime Achievement Award. This is an idea of yours, Alex. I think we just have to give it up. We have to say something about Bella Gulden's last international game. Gulden has been one of the outstanding players over the last 10 years, um, especially with this Swedish team, where she has been the life force of everything they've done. It'll be, uh, I'm, I'm sorry to see her go. I'm sh she'll still be playing club handball, but um, it was really when she was wearing that yellow jersey that we saw the best of her. 100%. And I think she went out in an amazing style as well with that in-flight goal, the last goal against France, which some people had uh, given as their favorite moment of the tournament in our social media competition. Yeah, 15 major championships she played in 13 years for Sweden. 
which is an incredible, so like an incredible toll on her as well. And she mentioned that she was going to retire because of basically dealing with foot issues for the last couple of years. So she's trying to prolong her uh, club career. It's a pity that she didn't want to try and get to the Olympics one last time. I think that would have been a good way to, to bow out at Tokyo next year. But yeah, you have to uh, respect the decision and uh, an amazing career. So definitely the first lifetime achievement award from the Uninformed Handball Hour to Bella Gulden. I think a very worthy winner. That leaves our competition, which I briefly mentioned there moments ago. Uh, we asked people on social media on Sunday to share their favorite moment of the championship. And we would choose one of them to be the winner and to get a very nice replica ball from the competition. And we had a lot of interesting submissions, I have to say, on Facebook, on Twitter, and on Instagram. Yeah, Marcio here talks about the double save from Toft when she was on the floor. That was also a good moment. Pievich catching the wing shot with one hand uh, from Team Handball News from John Ryan there. This is all on Twitter. Then we had Tess Fester's last second uh, save against Germany. The face save. From the face save we talked mm-hmm. about already. That's from Pedro. Gracious fairy tale, Stefania uh, there. Talks about that. I mean, that's probably for me the, the story of the whole tournament. Victor talks about the Queens of Europe, Norway, um, getting back their title. Mm. A lot of Croatia love on Instagram in particular. Rudiak said, my favorite moment of the championship was when the Croatian players sang with a few Norwegian girls. So that was in the, the medal ceremony, which was pretty cool. Uh, it was such a pure and beautiful moment. Aside that, I love how the Croatian girls played with a smile, the way they conquered their fear, played with passion and expression. That was just amazing. Uh, also, a Hungarian fan, Viru, here saying, saying yeah, people trying to pronounce Jandra Jolushi Zaksik's name. I'm pretty sure that's exactly why they enjoyed it. And Brian Spoon Adventures. On Facebook, Anna Maria uh, talked about, she gave two different moments. Uh, the smile and all the, all the Croatian faces after the game. And moment number two would be us trying to predict who's going to move on to the next phase in the competition. And uh, <laughs> always accurate, she says. <laughs> I think overall, the moment that was mentioned the most was that Tej Pijevic one-handed save. I think it's probably what we talked about the most. It was the real, oh my God moment <laughs> in this championship. And I think when she saved that, I think everyone's minds switched to, okay, maybe Croatia are serious. Maybe subconsciously. That was the moment where um, Croatia's dream started to become a reality. So I, w- I would give it to that award. Cool. That was the most common one. So we're going to give the award, the Fans' Choice Award there to Tia Pejevic and that one-handed catch. And the winner of the competition, though, I'm going to go for Vicky, who wrote to us on Twitter saying... It's going to sound very cheesy, but even though it's a pandemic going on right now, I still got a chance to experience the championship with my friends, thanks to the internet, to support Norway from the beginning and finally seeing them win what they deserve. I think that's a nice message. But you tear up here, so we'll leave it at that. (laughs) Yeah. So, Vicky, congratulations. You're the winner of the Replica Ball. We'll get in touch with you and uh, we'll send it over just after Christmas, I suppose. You did promise them a Christmas gift, though, Chris. Yeah, there's no way it's getting there by the, <laughs> by the 24th. I'm sorry. <laughs> New, New Year's gift. If Vicky wants to gift it onto somebody else, they can show the picture of it saying, here's your gift. <laughs> yeah. it will re- it'll arrive on the 2nd of January. Then with that, all we have to do is thank you all for listening over the last three 
weeks of the championship and the the three weeks before that uh we've had an amazing 15 episodes covering the women's ehf euro 2020 which has been a lot of fun to do a lot of hard work from the three of us and thank you to everyone from i think about 120 countries again somehow who've listened to us over the last month which has been phenomenal and there's plenty more on the way if this is the first time and i know for a lot of you it is the first time listening to us over this championship we do release podcasts every two weeks during the year and over the next month or so we should actually have a few more because next week already we'll have a little preview of the ehf final four in cologne and uh, then in january we'll be covering the men's world championship as well and for all of you who like us getting predictions wrong that never changes you know, apart from me predicting Motors Aparoshi to do well this season. But look, <laughs> we get it wrong a lot. We get it right a lot. So we'll look. Tune in and I'm sure you won't be disappointed. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you, Brian and Alex, for an amazing month. And congratulations to Norway, champions of the Women's EHF Euro 2020. 